Hello, this is episode 326 of the Purple Psychology Podcast. I'm Nisha Riley. So it's like Dinky has a homing sense for whenever I'm trying to record a difficult podcast and he has to bark. So we're on take two. So this is a podcast I've had notes on since the Olympics last year in the run-up to the Olympics. So that's how long I've been kind of working on this. And it's this idea of there being an unattainable scale of perfection for black people. And there are many words used, such as supremacy, whitest, white dominance. And I don't really like any of them, because what I'm going to talk about is I'm going to talk about that space for justification that's left, a kind of wiggle room where I watch debates unfold and I watch comparisons happen. And there's always a sense of matching something to your identity and to your conditions and feeling like you have a sort of a a get-out clause. And for me, it's a scale of insecurity. And I would rather call it that because it talks about what the root issue is, what is underneath everything, what is possible for everyone to change. And I was originally going to record this podcast as an extended podcast for my Patreons because it felt safer. But I decided this week that it's really needed to be out in the mainstream. Like yet again, we have a glaringly obvious example. We have a 22-year-old that was armed, that shot 70 rounds of bullets into a crowd, that killed seven people, that there was an eight-hour manhunt to arrest, that he was armed in the car, and yet... The car was peacefully surrounded and he was arrested. Whereas we have, in a different state, and again, this is part of the comparison justification, because you'll say, all the states in America are different and that doesn't happen in Ayers, right? But we have a 25-year-old that's stopped at a traffic stop, that's unarmed, that gets out of the car, that whatever ensues, that there is 60 rounds of bullets shot into his body. I, don't, I can't even imagine what someone looks like after being shot 60 times. And he's black, and the other person is white. And it's kind of like, how do you match that up in your head? How do you find space to justify the difference in that? And the same happened in the run-up to the Olympics. Like, it is... The Olympic sports at this stage are almost inhuman. They're almost unattainable, the pace of sports and what is required of athletes and the sort of training and the sort of discipline and it's a life goal. Like I will always remember the photograph that shared of Katie Taylor in Ireland as a seven-year-old drawing out that she's going to win an Olympic medal. Like it is something, it is a focus that starts from a very young age You have an athlete who has done all of that, who has achieved so much to be on the US team. And you're sort of left sitting there going, why would you throw that all away by having cannabis in your system? And they end up sending out a message that says, I am human. And the answer is because in that moment, they're grieving for the loss of their mother and they have not got the support structure around them to get through what's being asked of them. And this completely 
unattainable scale of perfection and pressure and spotlight, just sheer pressure. Whereas we're on the Winter Olympics and we have a teen girl who's now white with drugs found in her system and there's a whole debacle that takes place but she's allowed to participate and to compete. And for me personally, like I have a lot of criticism around how we've put so many children on drugs for so many different reasons and what that does to our young bodies and in terms of balancing our emotions. And I spend a lot of time helping people to have coping strategies so they're not on various medications for things such as ADHD. But yet again, there's that wiggle room. Like when you listen to the conversation and the comparisons and the debate and all the things that take place, there's always this zone that everyone can go into and go, oh, but in this case it was different and the blah, blah, blah. And she's not responsible, the adults are. And you know. But yet again, we have a black athlete who is not participating and we have a white athlete who is. So sometimes you need to just go beyond all of the noise and look at the end result. And if you do that, you lose that space for justification. It all falls away and you just look at what's actually happened. When we look at the Supreme Court nomination and we look at what took place for Judge Jackson, and I looked at a video on how to pronounce her name, and I'm, I'm not sure I'll get it right, so I'm going to stick with Judge Jackson. And that's my limitation in reading. Because I've written it down phonetically and now I don't understand what I wrote down myself. But we look at the, the, un, the almost unattainable, the, the space of what is asked of somebody, what they need to be, how measured they need to be, how much they need to tolerate and put up with how much they have to have hurled at them and not react, how much more successful they have to be viewed, how much more they have to have attained to be there. And in a way, that is a story that I do understand because of my own literacy challenges and what is dished out to me every time I make a mistake, regardless of what I have attained before and in the perceptions of that. And so this is a conversation I do understand. I understand about the pressures of that perfection and what you need to be to not be judged and how, well, it doesn't really matter, you're still going to be judged because I'm still going to make mistakes. And so it's, it's why I say it's the one label I can't lose because I always end up using it as a justification for my mistakes and a sense of putting myself forward and saying, oh yes, but please take me seriously and don't assume that I'm not educated and I'm not in, intelligent and that please don't wipe me off. And that's exactly what I see every time. It was, it was the most, in one sense, uplifting experience to watch someone navigate that and do it with such poise and such vulnerability and the ability to be vulnerable and be emotional and be real and then the secureness that that takes that we, we can't even fathom but on the other hand you're sitting there and you're looking at it and going 
This is what you need to be to make it. How unattainable is that? How high is that standard? And how will you find something? And it's the same when you read the biographies of both of the Obamas. They talk about that unbelievable measure and scrutiny of their every move for them to be in the White House for eight years and not have a scandal. To not give anyone the space to be able to criticise them, even down to paying for their own renovations, which no white person has done. No white person has looked at the budget in the way that they have had to. So there's always this space. There's always this space for you to slot in and judge, measure, ridicule, and expect both someone else to justify their existence, but for you to be able to justify your behaviour and your judgments, and when it's just fundamentally wrong. And every time I, I watch something happen, I, I watch these, these judgments unfold. Like, we're, we're listening to a landmark case being given in terms of the police having murdered a black man. And at the same time, there's a 16-year-old black girl shot and in one sense, we've had a total sway of, oh, this is wrong and, you know, this, there should be justice here. And on the other hand, I watch people in the space justify why this girl deserved to die. Simultaneously, in real time. And they're just down the road from each other. And then it's okay to mistake a gun for a taser, but in that moment where you're trying to break up a very innocent situation with a teen girl, you have the choice of picking the taser over the gun, and you don't choose to do that. And why is that? What is that, that scale of judgment in you that allows you to do that? And, and how does a fully grown, armed man feel insecure in that moment that they need to do that. That's really the question for me. Every time one of these events happens, how can you possibly feel insecure and threatened so that you have to react in the way that you react, but yet you don't feel that while you pull over a car where someone has shot 70 rounds and you know that they're armed? What's in your psyche that you have to feel insecure in one of those situations, but not in the other. And you see, again, if you ask that question, you've lost the space for the justification. I continually look at photographs of Michael Jackson through the years, and I feel such poignance and sadness for what he put his own body through as a, as a being that was globally successful and has so much recognition and so much wealth and it attains so much success. And I look at him and, and you know, I, I joke that we need to have a national black nose love day. But for me, he is a physical representation of what society makes people feel what that projected insecurity 
physically looks like on another person's body. That is the projection and almost like the, the image that, that of, of this scale that I'm talking about projected onto another being so that they feel what you have projected out. So that's the image I'm going to leave you with. Go away and look at the transition in Michael Jackson and that's what you feel inside.